And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Rich Coker, Assistant Professor of Business at Grove City College. Rich, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be with you. The uh, Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College this past Wednesday published your piece entitled The Life of Charlie Gard, Whose Decision Is It Anyway? And um, you've had um, plenty of opportunity to reflect on healthcare. You've spent some 25 years in the healthcare industry, so uh, I'm sure there's a lot of lot of experience behind this article. So, to get us started today, Rich, could you uh, describe for our listeners this uh, basically heart wrenching case that affects the life of an infant in England? Sure, uh, as you mentioned, the infant's name uh, is Charlie Gard. Um, and the case took place uh, in England, and Charlie's situation um, as an infant, um, he suffers from a rare and typically fatal genetic disorder, um, and he was being cared for um, in an English hospital in London. Um, his parents were by his side night and day, um, as many of, uh, of us would be, uh, parents uh, would be, and um, because of Charlie's uh, condition, um, the doctors at the hospital uh, felt that they could no longer treat Charlie um, because that treatment would not provide any added value to Charlie's life. Um, now, you must remember that in England, uh, health care is uh, socialized. That is, it's run by completely by the government. The National Health Service is the program in, in the U.K. that provides health care to, to everyone. And so the decision to um, not to continue to treat Charlie um, was based on um, medical decisions made by the physicians in the hospital. Now, the, the challenge to that is it pretty much removes Charlie's parents um, from medical decisions affecting their child. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, Charlie's situation garnered some attention in the news media and, and on a national basis um, because... That decision that uh, to, to not treat Charlie, um, based strictly on the, the value-added nature of the health care he would receive, again, as I said, totally removes Charlie's parents from the equation, um, and that's really what led to uh, the news story as it developed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm concerned because uh, we see our own um, nation at least some in the nation wanting to go down this road of nationalized health care, thinking that it's all good. But I see a lot of um, bad things about it. Um, in this case, specifically in England, uh, the parents, it seems like they have no say. Um, now, certainly doctors are well-trained. Um, they know where cases like this tend to go. It's, 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 it is unlikely that the child will live, and yet it looks like there's a little glimmer of hope, because uh, from what little bit I've read, it, there's, a, there's a possibility that the child could be brought to the United States for some experimental um, um, drugs or treatments or whatever. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, so there were a number of specialists who commented on the case, including uh, physicians from the United States who, as you said, would be willing to offer experimental treatment. And um, the 
the sort of the, the go to any lengths um, in order to save Charlie's life, um, those situations were presented to the parents. Um, and, and again, when we look at you know whose decision should it be, um, decisions were being made about what to do with Charlie's life um, made by the courts. Um, and again, based on recommendations by physicians, but removing Charlie's parents from the from the equation. So back to your original point, um, any time an entity like the government gets involved in making life and death decisions, those decisions are often based on uh, the you know sort of the plus or minus value that the treatment can add. Very, uh, very antiseptic sort of a view taking out of the equation the wishes of those closest to the, to a patient, and in this case, Charlie. So you're right, the United States, there are many in the United States who feel like a, a government-run healthcare system is the best solution, um, but you do run into situations like this where the bureaucratic nature of those decisions completely remove uh, the, you know, the, those closest to the patient or the, the patient provide a relationship out of the equation. And, and that's, uh, I don't believe, uh, an acceptable way for, uh, for patients or for their caregivers or providers to, to have to, to live in that environment. Yeah, and um, the sentiments of those who push for nationalized health care even creeps into um, PBS specials like uh, Call the Midwife, I've noticed, and we, we kind of enjoyed that uh, series, my wife and I. But um, whenever they could get a chance to push for emphasizing the, the good aspects, quote-unquote, <laughs> good aspects of nationalized health care, I noticed that that show consistently did that. Mm. So this is airing Saturday. However, it was recorded several days ago. We don't know exactly um, what has happened, but... Uh, where do you think this is going with with little Charlie Gard? Well, the uh, the latest news um, in terms of his case is the parents have decided to drop their legal battle um, over trying to get experimental treatment for Charlie, um, and that was just something that was mm-hmm. uh, released in the news uh, yesterday, I believe. So it is a, a very fluid situation. Um, so what will happen now is that um, uh, Charlie will be made as comfortable as possible as he literally spends his his last hours. His parents will be by his side. Um, and this long and drawn-out battle over what should have been done or what could have been done um, is all moot at this point. Uh, so had Charlie's parents been able to act weeks and weeks ago, um, with experimental treatment, who knows the outcome? Um, but the point is that the decision at that point in time was not Charlie's parents' decision, and, and that's unfortunate. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, many of us have had to go through situations where we have a loved one who's at end of life. You know, they're not a they're not an infant, certainly, with a, was a possibility of life to live yet. But they're they're clearly at end of life, and even a decision like that, um, we had to make it on our own family here for my dear mother, and uh, there was absolutely no hope. And uh, she, you know, towards the end, uh, was no longer responding, and the nurses 
came by and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it took a little while for it to sink into me. They were basically saying she's gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it's a, it's still, it's a, it's a heart wrenching moment when, uh, the, um, the life support has to be withdrawn because she's basically gone. But, but this is different with, with the little baby and, and where there possibility exists of, uh, experimental drug treatment, I'm sure they would have to uh, sustain her life in the plane as they flew the child over, and that would be a tremendous cost. But um, if I were the parent, I would surely want to try that for my child, sure. who has a has a potential full life ahead of him or her. And I think your 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 uh, personal story. Um, many people share that story. Yeah, um, I went through that same situation with my father a number of years ago. Right um, now. You know, the difference, as you said, being somebody at the end of life um, who has, you know, maybe communicated or, or made known what wishes were at Correct. some point. So you, you know you know more about the person, you know what they're feeling, you know what they're thinking, um, and you're able to take steps which you know are what they would have wished for. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the difference here is, in Charlie's case, Charlie's parents have to act in that regard. And, and so they're acting on his behalf. Unfortunately, in this case, they were not allowed to act on, on his behalf. Yeah, with um, older folks, usually there's some kind of a form that is filled out ahead of time, and the loved one uh, makes an intelligent decision. You know, if they get to the point where there's no hope, they, you know, they, they want to be allowed to, to die. And that, that's a different case than this infant. Yes, exactly. You have somebody who has put some, obviously, forethought into it, who knows and plans, um, and their loved ones generally know about those wishes, whether it's written or whether it's communicated verbally. And again, in this case, uh, Charlie's an infant and, and doesn't have that yeah. opportunity. So you would think that, their, that his parents would be the ones to act on his behalf. Um, and as I said before, unfortunately, that didn't occur in this case. Now, um, I have an appreciation for... Um you know, liberty and freedom. And um, I, I personally do enjoy working within a free market system, and I, I think that's there's a lot of benefits to that. Now, sometimes uh, companies may take advantage and that sort of thing, but you've worked in the health field and um, even pharmaceuticals. And some people today might think, oh, pharmaceuticals, they're all bad. And they might say that at the same time that they're on a life-saving drug from the pharmaceutical. Um, what's your perspective on pharmaceuticals and and how we relate to them and that sort of thing? Sure. Well, you know, it's it's difficult to um, generalize about an industry that is so big and so diverse. You know, the the pharmaceutical industry is is frequently the the target of um, a lot of media attention, mainly because of the cost of prescription drugs, and that's always a always an issue. And there are obviously some situations where companies have not behaved in an ethical or moral manner, and I certainly, you know, don't uh, condone any of that. Um, but I do think that um, the industry has uh, taken a bit of a hit because of perceptions about about it. Um, and as you said, it's easy to to talk about. Well, my my prescription medicine, you know, costs a lot, um, but yet it 
helps me enjoy a quality of life that I couldn't otherwise enjoy. Sure. Um, I can spend time with family. I can be active. I can have a disease like uh, cardiovascular disease or diabetes or some other condition controlled so that I can, you know, live a, a, a life that is of high quality. So there are certainly a number of, of benefits, and I think that in some ways the media tends to portray uh, the pharmaceutical companies in a negative light because that helps to sell papers and magazines and garner ratings and everything else. And right. it's a convenient, it's sort of a convenient target. Um, now, again, as I said, there are there are companies that have not behaved in an ethical or moral manner, and I I don't condone that at all. They should be identified and punished. Um, but broadly speaking, uh, to demonize an entire industry that provides so much benefit. Uh, I mean, just imagine, um, you know, life without a drug as simple as uh, an antibiotic. Um, you know, it's inter- it's interesting to note that at the at the turn of the century, the uh, the, the leading cause of death among Americans was uh, viral infection. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in in the span of about a hundred years, um, that has completely reversed, and now very few people. Uh, die because of diseases like pneumonia or tuberculosis or, um, you know, infectious disease. So, you know, we've we've completely changed the landscape of, of the United States, at least, and certainly the world too, um, enjoy, enabling people to to enjoy a quality of life that they couldn't otherwise had. So, right. uh, that's just that's sort of my perspective on it, um, and and. Uh, as I said, there might be a number of people who disagree when they look at their uh, look at the pharmacy bill, but um, but I think knowing what benefits uh, to society the industry has brought um, certainly helps uh, in that regard. Yes, yes, and I, I think no matter what um, um, system of economics we find ourselves in in a given country, um, unless the people involved have the basic attributes of honesty and not wanting to steal. Um, all systems can be polluted, you know, with, with sin. Sure. But but I think checks and balances and a free market system is, is vastly superior. Right. Uh, rather than um, some sort of uh, imposed, legalized thievery and that sort of thing. Right. So um, with your experience, and, and, you know, today we've been talking about the case of Charlie Gard, this little, dear little baby over in England, and uh, the mother and father uh, will not be able to decide treatment for this little baby, which is so, so terribly bad. But if you were to uh, have the ear, let's say, of a, of a legislator uh, here in America to advise him or her as to our health care system, do you have any thoughts on that? Hmm, interesting question, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people would like that opportunity. Um, I think that from from my perspective, and, and you just touched on it with regard to the comments about about the free market. Um, you know, our healthcare system is one in which the majority of people, the you know, or eighty percent of the population that that does have healthcare coverage enjoys wonderful coverage and enjoys the ability to 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 take care of themselves in a way that in a lot of other places they you know they don't have, um, and. It's the free market. It's the ability for um, individual choice 
and control over what you want in terms of healthcare um, that should be at the forefront. And so, if I were, you know, a, a message for for legislatures is, you know, let's trust the American people to mm. make decisions about their own healthcare. Um, let's empower them to make the decisions about their healthcare. Let's give control to the individuals to do what they feel is in their best interest or their family's best interest. Sure. Um, you know, Charlie's parents didn't have the opportunity to make a decision about what they believed were in Charlie's best interest. The, the state made that decision. I think we can, as Americans, we can um, embrace the fact that we have empowerment and control over decisions like what to do about our health care, um, removing the, the government control out of the way. The government can certainly empower or enable the control and the, uh, the, the ability of people to make decisions about their health care, um, but to, uh, to avoid the bureaucratic nature of something as important as, as health care, I think that's where the government needs to, to sort of step back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it must be frustrating for doctors. I, I've talked just a little bit uh, with them, not much, but um, there's so much uh, red tape that they have to go through. And by the time they get done submitting all the forms and whatnot, you think, well, how much time was really given to taking care of the person in front of them versus updating the database and doing another form and this and that and the other thing? And I I think some doctors, not many, but a few have just gone to a cash-only basis and say, you know, forget all these forms. (laughs) Right. Come on in and for 50 bucks or whatever the price is. I'll take That's care right. of you, and you're going to have my 100% uh, dedication and attention, and we're going to take good care of you. And I wonder if yep. if this whole thing is going to go full circle before we before too long, and we start returning to really good care like that, where it's where it's real personalized, right? And you call them up, and you get a real person on the phone, and not some stupid answering machine, and yep. and somebody that really cares for you. I would love to see it to get to that. Well, the administrative burden that um, physicians and, and offices have, just with regard to you know to insurance and the regulations that follow, um, you know, take that to its full extent, and, and we have a, a government-controlled healthcare system like the National Health Service in the UK, where the administrative burden is is even greater. Um, there are many in the UK who choose to step outside of the National Health Service and contract privately with sure. physicians, just in that sort of uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, situation that you described. And that concierge care is, is one model that, um, that people have found to, to, you know, kind of get around the, um, the burdens and the, uh, the, the directives that come from a, a socialized or a government-run system. So that you know, there are places uh, in the U.S. where that kind of care is being practiced right now. Physicians have gotten frustrated enough or uh, fed up with all the red tape, so they now believe here's a way for me to to continue to do what I love, treat patients, and to treat them in a way that um, doesn't force me to spend only eight minutes with each patient in order to make sure I see enough patients in a day to you know to make the make the bills, yeah. um, but to, to really spend time and to, to care for people um, like I know the majority of physicians want to do. Yeah, you, you brought back a memory also. Um, we were in the midst of changing doctors for my mother sometime before she died, and 
um, she needed a home visit, and one of the very capable nurse practitioners showed up one night in her home to take care of her, and that was a real mm-hmm. blessing. That was a real blessing to the family. You don't see home visits that often anymore. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough, I guess, to remember, uh, you know, home visits from my pediatrician, and <laughs> just imagine what that would be like today. It would be so, so foreign uh, to most people that, wait, the doctor's going to come to my house, and, you know, she she's going to see me in my home. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that would be quite a shock to, I'm sure, a lot of people. <laughs> that's right. Um, we're getting to the end of our discussion today. Um, we started by talking about the case of Charlie Gard, the little infant in England who has mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome, this rare disease, usually fatal, and um, how that the parents would love for this little baby to be given the chance of trying the experimental treatment in the United States, but um, the national health care system of England has forbidden it from happening. And that um, they say, well, we just want him to die with dignity without giving right. him the opportunity of getting this treatment and apparently there's a doctor or doctors in the States here that was willing to work with the baby. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And I, the other, you know, the other, um, I think, long-term implication of this case that I think is uh, uh, worth noting, not, not just that the decision is taken away from the parents, but the decision of the courts and of the hospital um, based on the value-added nature of treatment, I think... Um, has a direct impact on the value of life, really. When you mm. think about, you know, we're making a decision based on, I don't want to say dollars and cents, but based on, okay, well, the likely outcome is this, and we would have to put resources against treatment and people and time, and that's just not likely to produce the kind of outcome we want. That that sort of takes, you know, life just as a uh, this is a factor in the equation and not the most important factor mm. uh, and I think on a, you know at a lo- in a long term basis um, for a society to think like that or for the for a health system to think like that um, it, it's not a path that we need to go down no no and uh, another factor is uh, for the young people let's say you you got a young man 18 19 20 and you know he's Let's say he's got into HVAC and he didn't go to college and he's out there working and he just wants some simple health insurance, you know, basically cover him for catastrophic. Um, right. I don't think it's right to force these young people to um, pay an exorbitant amount so that the system can support the older people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm older now. But I, I, th- I, I think that responsibility dictates that if you're older, you know, you've had a time to accumulate a little bit of wealth, and you should be able to take care of yourself and not expect the young people to pay the same amount you do. I don't think that's fair to the young people. Well, that, you're, you're absolutely right, and that was one of the, uh, one of the flaws with um, the Affordable Care Act, uh, which treated everybody the same. Yeah. You know, whether you were, were 55 or whether you were 20, um, the coverage you were buying and the rates that you, know, that you were paying and, and um, the benefits that you would uh, receive were all the same. Mm. So you're right. Um, somebody who is, who is 20, 21, 
working a job um, unlikely to to need a physician only in a you know in an emergency situation and the ability to buy a plan that was was tailored to their needs was non-existent yeah and and so that caused some caused some issues um, but let's go back to really why the reason why that 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 situation occurred anyway well in the affordable care act um, the amount of money needed to be generated, the revenue needed to generate in order to cover all those people, had to be paid by somebody. Mm-hmm. And and so forcing young people to buy a plan that they didn't really need but yet would have to pay for in order to you know to generate that revenue um, was was kind of crazy. Well, why would I pay for something that I'm you know that I'm never going to use and that's not relevant to me just in order to subsidize a greater population. Yeah, that's right. That that was a, um, you know, that was a a flaw that just didn't make any sense. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. We've been talking with uh, Rich Coker, Assistant Professor of Business at Grove City College. He's got 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry. He specializes in marketing and business strategy and Rich has written an article um, that's called The Life of Charlie Gard, Whose Decision Is It Anyway? It was published by the Center for Vision and Values. So, uh, Rich, uh, it's been an honor. Thank you very much for joining us today. Dan, it's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Dear listener, please join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. This sorrowful man To set our small sadness aside To come now and follow No matter the cost To follow him boldly And wait in the time heart and grant me the gift of your grieving and awaken in me the compassion to weep just one of the tears of the world just one of the tears of the world